heard a story about two men who were uh, marooned on a deserted island, and one of them is just pacing back and forth, and he's worried, and he's scared. He's just trying to think, how can I get off of this island? Meanwhile, the other man is just, he takes it easy, he lays back, kind of soaking in the rays of the sun, and the other guy looks at him, he's like, what in the world are you doing? I mean, aren't you worried? I mean, we've got to find a way to get off of this island. Otherwise, we are going to die on this island. And the guy says, nah, I'm not worried. I make about $100,000 a week. The other guy says, well, what in the world does that matter? I don't care if you make a million dollars a week. We're on a deserted island. Money is no good out here. We've got to find a way to get off of this island. And the second guy said, I don't think you heard me correctly. I make about $100,000 a week, and I tithe regularly to my church. Trust me, my preacher is going to find me. Well, today is our last message in a short series we are calling uh, The Genius of Generosity. And Jesus was always saying things that were counterintuitive, that were backwards to the way our culture typically thinks of things. And so he'd say things like the way to live is actually to die to yourself. And, and the way to be the greatest is actually to be the least and to be a servant. But perhaps the most counterintuitive thing that Jesus ever said is recorded in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That there is always a connection between generosity and blessing. And I hope this series has been a blessing to you. Because I said at the onset, there's a lot of preachers, myself included, who shy away from talking about money and giving for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that we fear that maybe you think we have some kind of selfish agenda on the table, that that's why we're doing this. And so we, you know, we preach about money because we just want more money, that we, we have a, a, a selfish, uh, self-serving mindset behind preaching. So let me confess to you, at least in this regard, uh, the reason that we are talking about money. I am being a little bit self-serving. I'll be honest with you. Here's the reason, though. Generosity is good for you, and generosity is good for me. And so in that sense, I am a little bit of self-serving because I need to learn it. As much as I'm telling you, I also need to hear these words myself. We saw two weeks ago that generosity blesses God. We saw last week how we talked about how God or generosity blesses others, and I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages if you haven't heard them. But what I want to unpack and close our series on this week is helping us to realize that generosity truly is good for us. It's not just something that God calls us to do, people that, that he calls us to be. It truly is good for us and molding us into the image of who our God desires for us to be. And that's actually proven that generosity is good for us. That's actually proven in secular research. Stony Brook School of Medicine, I'll just give you a few things. Stony Brook School of Medicine published a study that said that generosity reduces blood pressure as much as medicine or exercise. Generosity does that. The New Republic magazine in their science section published a study that said generosity improves emotional health. Why? Because that's the way that we are wired. Our neuroscience is such that when we are generous, chemicals like endorphins and dopamine and oxytocin are released, and we actually feel better when we are generous and we give. U.S. News published a study where they found that people who volunteer and are generous with their time to serve others have a 63% lower mortality rate. University of Louisville 
published a study where they examined the money we hold in our hands, coins and paper money, and they found that at least 13% of coins and 43% of our paper money contain disease-producing organisms. Get rid of it, right? I mean, it's got, it's got germs all over. You don't want that stuff. And you think, well, I have cards anyways. Well, cards, a study found by Lind EDU found that our, back, our cards are not much better. Our plastic is not much better. They found that uh, there was more bacteria on credit cards and debit cards than there are actually on dollar bills and coins. So maybe I should have called this series, Be Generous or You Will Die. That's probably what I should have called that. that I don't know, maybe that wouldn't have gone over as much, but... But the main reason that you and I should pour instead of store is that it gives us something to live for. You see, generosity is important because purpose is not found in a purchase. Your purpose, why you are here, is not found in the things that you have and the purchases that you make, how much money you have in your bank account or your 401k or any of those things. There are only three really big questions in life. We can talk about a lot of different questions, a lot of whys, a lot of whats, a lot of whos. There are three primary questions in life. How did I get here? Why am I here? And where am I going? That's really what it all boils down to. How did I get here? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And here's how the dominant secular worldview answers those questions. You are a cosmic accident. You shouldn't even be here. You just happened to be here. Some things collided and, and all worked out. And now you are here. And in the meantime, you can do whatever you want to. And you are going to return to nothingness in the, in, 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 you know, at the end of life. But in the meantime, in between, just try to have fun, right? I mean, if you're just a cosmic accident and you're going to go back to being just cosmic dust, it doesn't really matter. In the meantime, you might as well just have all the fun that you can have and build as big of a barn as you can get. But let me tell you, A, that's not going to work in life in general, but specifically, that's not going to work when life comes crashing down around you, right? When everything is going good, maybe that feels good. Eat, you know, eat, drink, be merry, right? Like the story of the rich guy that we talked about a couple weeks ago. But when life comes crashing down, that's not going to work. When you're lying awake at night because you can't sleep, because you're struggling, you're anxious, you're dealing with something, you, and you, you ask yourself, what's my reason for getting up in the morning? You got to have a better reason to live than just how do I get the biggest barn, right? There's got to be something more to life than just how can I get the biggest barn? I've known far too many people with a full purse, and an empty purpose. Few people had more money than Solomon. Here's what he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Isn't that true? So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Jesus is constantly saying that the quality of your life has nothing to do with the quantity of your stuff. That money can only add meaning to your life when it is not the meaning of your life. Let me say that again. Money can only add meaning to your life when it is not the meaning of your life. The meaning of my life and your life, if you are a Christian, is to know Christ and to make him known. 
And money is simply a means to help me pursue that purpose. Generosity helps me to do what I was made for. Generosity is good for us, firstly, because it guards our hearts. You see, the reality is that we will give first allegiance to whatever or whoever we think will bless us most. You are going to give first allegiance to whoever or whatever in your life and in your world that you think will bless you most. I mean, listen, we can talk all day long. We can say what we value. We can say what's most important. But in the end, you give your allegiance to whoever or whatever in your life you think will bless you the most, which begs the question, what are you giving your best to? Think about that in your life. What are you giving your best to? Because that's what you think in the end will bless you the most. And that's why Jesus talks so much about money. Because there's nothing that can mimic God like money can. Now it can't come through, but it mimics God. Money has an amazing capacity to mimic God by promising things that only God can deliver on. Things like significance and security and identity. And you think about how we define ourselves and we define others by the things that we have, by the things that we don't have, by how much money we have, by the prestige that we have, by the job that we have, by fill in the blank and all of those things, how we value. All of those things mimic what God desires to have us find our identity, our security in him. And yet we find them, try to find them in so many other things. Money is, has an, an amazing capacity to mimic God in that way. And so generosity is the way we push back against the lies of the culture that are recruiting our hearts every day. Some of you um, grew up on farms or, you know, out in the country. And out, out in the country, sometimes you'll have like stock tanks or you'll have ponds and you'll have a spillway, right? You'll have a, a you know, a waterway that runs to it and, and, and from it because one of the laws of nature is that what comes in must go out, right? Or what stays in will be impure, right? If you don't have water flowing in and out, then eventually that water is going, unless you're circulating it somehow, that water is going to be impure. Well, listen, the same thing is true when it comes to our lives. What gets poured into our lives has to be poured out or what stays put is going to be impure. And that's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now we should be wise with our money, but we also need to realize, and I probably don't need to tell you this, but we lose track of this. You can't always protect your assets, right? I mean, there could be something that happens in the market across the world tomorrow that affects the market on Tuesday that makes you worth half what you were today by Wednesday, right? I mean, we don't know. Think about all that happened during COVID. Think about all that happened over the last few years and how our, 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 our assets have fluctuated in their, in their worth. You, you, never, you can't always protect your assets, but you know what you can't always protect? Your heart. You can make sure that you protect your heart. And when I surrender treasure to the kingdom of God, then the kingdom of God begins to capture my heart. Secondly, it's good for us to be generous because it also grows our faith. It grows our faith. When you read the Gospels, <coughs> you will not find a single time when Jesus ever said to, be, to anybody, all you need is more money. You can check it. I promise you it's not in there. 
All you need is more money. If you just get more money, that'll solve all your problems. That would be like opinion 6-5, I think, if you want to find that there. It's not in your, in your Bibles, though. Jesus never said that to anybody. He never said, all you need is more money. You know what Jesus did say to a lot of people, though? What you need is more trust and confidence in God. Like in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? And what will we drink? And what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. I said a couple of weeks ago that um, trust is God's love language. And I think that's part of what Jesus is trying to say when he tells us, unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He calls us to that, that, that call to become like little children. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I you know, was, was kind of growing up and my understanding of that verse, I, was used to, I always used to think that idea of becoming like little children meant that Jesus was saying, you know, become like little children because children are thoughtful and children are kind and children like to share. And then I became a parent and I realized I had completely misunderstood the meaning of that verse. Because that is oftentimes not the case, right? I love children. Here's what's true, though. There are many things about children that we wish that they outgrew. But here's one thing that we wish they never outgrew. Their absolute confidence that their father is going to provide. You will never hear toddlers in a sandbox talking about their 401k, right? With my kids, there are times when it's, harder than others to put them to bed, to get them to go to bed. But I have never had my children say, Dad, I am scared to go to bed because I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to drink tomorrow. And I don't know what I'm going to wear tomorrow. Now, actually, they may, one of them might be concerned about what they're going to wear tomorrow. That has nothing to do, has nothing to do with the amount of stuff she has. Just, just, no, I see, I, they have. We'll just leave it ambiguous. Let you make, why? Because they trust in their father to provide. They trust that their father is going to come through. Trust is God's love language, and you cannot enter the kingdom of God without it. Now, it's true. Let me say this. It is true that when I grow in my faith, then I am going to increase my giving. But here's what's also true. When I grow in my giving, I'm going to increase in my faith. Because the more I trust God, even when I may not feel like it, the more I trust God, the more God proves himself to be trustworthy. And the more I'm able to trust him again and again. And this really, church, this really does matter to God. That's why in scripture, nobody is ever discouraged from being generous. Just like nobody, Jesus never tells anybody, all you need is more money. Nobody in scripture is ever discouraged from being generous generous. Nobody in scripture is ever told, well, you, you know, you get your stuff together. Make sure you get your stuff together and get your finances in order. Then after you do that, then you can be generous. You won't, you won't find it. You're not going to find that. Paul is collecting money from the saints in, uh, in, uh, for the saints in Jerusalem. And he goes to a region called Macedonia. And here's what he writes to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church about those Christians in Macedonia starting in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 
He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. I love that language. What God is doing, what, ha- what he has done in his kindness. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Did you hear that? But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Paul didn't even think of saying, oh, wait, 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 wait. You don't have much? Well, wait till you get a lot, then you can be generous. Never says that. Never thinks of saying that. When Jesus is at the temple, he's watching people put money into the collection plate, and he sees a woman. And she puts in two coins of all she has. Jesus does not say to her, no, 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 don't put that in there. Take those back out. What does he say? He says, he, he looks at her and he makes an example of her. He says, that's kingdom life right there. That's what it looks like to trust your heavenly father and to be generous. This really matters to God. It really does matter to him because what's important is not that we be, that we be rich in this world, but that we be rich in faith and trust in our heavenly father. And remember, what gets poured gets stored. So generosity is good for us. It guards our hearts. It grows our faith. It also increases our reward. So I heard a man who knew he had a terminal illness and he knew he was going to die very shortly. So he went to the bank, got all his cash out, put it in his attic. His wife said, what are you doing? Why are you putting it in our attic? He said, well, they always say you can't take it with you when you go, but I am going to. I'm going to be the one that takes it with me when I, when I go. So he put it up in the attic. A couple of weeks later, he passed away and... His wife goes up in the attic and all of his money's still up there. She's looking at all that money. She says, I knew we should have put it in the basement. I'll let you think about that one. The moral of the story, you cannot take it with you. You cannot take it with you. I don't care if you put, well, hopefully you're not putting it in the basement. Uh, if you didn't get that joke, ask somebody next to you after services. Maybe you can figure that out. Here's what Jesus does say, though. You can put it on a head. You can send it on a head. And he's frequently counseling his disciples to build an eternal portfolio. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. Don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He says this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. I assure you that when the world is made new, and it will be, and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, and he will, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Now, let me be clear. That is not a prosperity gospel, okay? Let me, be, let me be clear on that. It's not prosperity gospel, but that is Jesus saying, when I set up my kingdom and my glory fills the earth, because I'm coming back, I'm going to notice and reward those who have trusted in me and been faithful to me. And think about it. Think about it. Why would I spend my life and make my life's purpose 
to be the accumulation of stuff that in the end, that stuff is going to be gone. Why would I do that? I'm not saying it's, we talked about this a couple weeks, it's not wrong to have this stuff. But why would I want to make my life about the accumulation of stuff when that stuff is just one day going to be gone? You will never find purpose that lasts in trying to hold on to stuff that won't. Generosity is a good investment. And by the way, the dividends are not just for the future. Because maybe one of the coolest things about generosity is that it secures our joy. It doesn't just increase our reward eternally. It secures our joy in the here and the now. Notice that Paul said about those Macedonians, they are filled with abundant joy. Not just a little bit of joy, abundant joy. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege um, to go to other countries. I've, I've had the privilege, not a lot, but the privilege of a couple times being able to go on mission trips to very poor countries, the ones that I went to. And I got to spend some time with fellow believers, and it's, it's I mean, it's some of the best memories of my life. And perhaps one of the, and by the way, they have far, far less material possessions than what you and I have. Far, far less. And one of the most impactful things to me, and one of the things that I still remember about my time spent with them and in those places, is that there is absolutely no correlation between an abundance of stuff and an abundance of joy. Because those people had next to nothing, and yet they were some of the most joyful followers of Jesus I have ever met in my life. Because it wasn't about the stuff. It was about who their true purpose was found in. Now, there is a kind of joy that stuff brings you. But it can't last. You know why? Because stuff can't last. And then there's a kingdom kind of joy that will last because it's based in the unending and unfailing grace of God. And people who have been filled with, overwhelmed with grace, they give cheerfully and generously because they realize how much they've been given. You can't stop them from giving because generosity gives them so much joy. Listen to what Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 8 about those same Macedonians. He says in verses 4 and 5, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you begged to give? When's the last time you begged to give to the church, to another person, to whatever? Listen, I'm ashamed to say it's been a minute. It's been a minute for me. When's the last time for you? They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. And their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. There is something missing when giving is not cheerful. You shouldn't, what's that old saying? Give till it hurts, right? You shouldn't give till it hurts. You should give till it feels good. Till it fills you with joy. Because if your giving isn't cheerful, then there is something missing in your mind and in your heart about the gospel. There is something that you 
have not fully grasped about the, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you see, this is, I, I mean, I know we've been talking about money and generosity. This is not a money issue, people. Church, it's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's a grace issue. That's really what it comes down to. So right in the middle of this section in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapter 9, Paul's talking all about giving, talking about generosity. And Paul drops in this line and he gives a beautiful description of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, you want to talk about rich. He was rich. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. So that by his poverty, he can make you rich. Again, it's not a money issue. It is a grace issue. In fact, it's interesting to me that just a few verses earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says in verse 7, see to it that you excel in the grace of giving. In the grace of giving. He does not say excel in the duty of giving. He does not say excel in the ministry of giving. He says excel in the grace of giving because it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because here's the genius of generosity. The grace of giving makes you far richer than the stockpiling of stuff. We we have defined rich in purely human terms. And God says, "Let, let me redefine what rich truly means. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. I love that picture. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. See, here's the great question we have to wrestle with every day in a culture that tells us to do the opposite. And it's the question I have asked from the onset of this series. Do we believe Jesus knows what he's talking about? Do you trust that Jesus really does know what he's talking about? Or is it just something we say? I mean, do we truly believe it? Because that's what it really all comes down to. If I follow the wisdom of Jesus, will I look like a and be like a fool? That's what I'm scared of. And that's what the world says. That is exactly what the world tells us. The world says that following the wisdom of Jesus, especially when it comes to your money, your money, and your stuff, it's just foolishness. It's not genius. It is foolishness to believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
But I love the words of missionary Jim Elliott. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Life is short. Life is short. And for each of us, there will come a time when we will leave this world. And when that time comes, we are all going to have to give an answer for the life we've lived and for how we've managed the things that God has entrusted to us. Church, don't trust in the wisdom, quote-unquote, of this world. Trust in the wisdom of Jesus. Trust that he knows what he's talking about. You see, we make a living by what we get. But we make a life by what we give. When you get up tomorrow, don't live for a purchase. Live for a purpose. When you get up tomorrow, be a genius and live a life of generosity.